The past is a candle at great distance, too close to let you quit, too far to comfort you. Amy Bloom. Hey everybody, hello, 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 hello. Is it me you're looking for? I think it is if you've been listening every week. Uh, welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. Uh, I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to AJ Mass. Hey, 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 I'm dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> Outrageous! <laughs> Enough about Lionel Richie. This isn't a podcast about Lionel Richie. It is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Lionel Richie may have a criminal mind. I don't know. I, I don't know Lionel like that. But uh, anyway, I'm getting off track here. This is about Criminal Minds. Uh, every week we recap and in take, take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so I'm giving you that first view perspective and AJ has seen the show plenty of times as a longtime viewer, so he's giving you that sort of in-the-know. Uh, grizzled veteran. <laughs> grizzled veteran. I got to remember the grizzled veteran <laughs> view perspective on the show. Someone old uh, enough to remember the Commodores. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And each week, brick house by brick house, we build this thing. Uh, that, that was a stretch. Okay. Anyway, let's get into the show. Uh, this week, what are we doing, AJ? Episode 15 already of the first season of Criminal Minds. It's it's flying by. It is flying by. Episode 15. I can't believe we're here. This episode was called Unfinished Business. It originally aired on March 1st, 2006, directed by J. Miller Tobin and written by Deborah Fisher and Erica Messer who previously wrote the episode Natural Born Killer about the uh, kidnapped undercover cop. So I will just say my hopes are that this will be even better <laughs> than that. And less ratty. <laughs> <laughs> even better, yes. So let's start. We open this week in Washington, D.C. at the J. Miller Bookstore, where a gentleman named Max Ryan is reading from his book, which is entitled Houses of Horror, The Hunt for the Keystone Killer. Uh, this actor who plays Max Ryan is not Robert Stack, but he sounds an awful lot like Robert Stack of uh, Unsolved Mysteries and other uh, airplane and other other uh, hits back in the day. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's one of these... Uh grizzled veterans of his own who has appeared in like one episode of every show known to man so yeah yes. <laughs> definitely we get a lot of those types of that guys on the show yeah definitely he he brings a certain gravitas to this role yes indeed he is presenting a slideshow about this book and he's got pictures going on behind him as he goes into the details of an old case the keystone killer so the case was basically about uh, a guy who apparently killed Seven women who made a name for himself, literally, he sent out written communication identifying himself as the Keystone Killer. And uh, all of these letters were accompanied by 
a word search puzzle. AJ, so, so he's sort of like the son of Sam. He liked to taunt the police with clues and, and things like that uh, and got the media all excited about him. Yeah, I mean, uh, in today's day and age, we might come up with the Sudoku Strangler, perhaps. <laughs> Something a little tougher. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, about 18 years ago, at some point, he just stopped the killing. So it was a two-year killing spree, and then he just stopped, dropped off the face of the earth. One of the Philadelphia PD's theories was that he was in jail, but uh, Ryan isn't buying this because he knows this is a guy who craves attention. Um, also, by the way, as this is going on, the camera has panned around the room and we see that Gideon, our pal Gideon, is, is in the back of the room uh, watching the proceedings. Which, of course, you know, puts you at ease. I mean, it, it lets you know that the, <laughs> there's not going to be a shooting or a bombing or a right. stabbing or something that goes on. Uh, not under Gideon's watch. No, no, no. <laughs> right. right. That's true. Normally, our cold open, we're seeing... Uh, an actual crime, but here we're just, uh, we're at another event. We don't get to see a grisly murder right away. <laughs> right. And uh, just, just take a note. I'm just going to throw it out there. This is for those who've watched the show uh, as much as I have and know of future episodes. Just to put it in the ether, you're not going to remember when we get to this episode, but just remember Gideon visits a book reading. That's all. Just, just throw it out there. Gideon Visits a book reading. Yes. I gotta go. I gotta go make note of all of our things that we've penned because I think we've penned a few things. Gideon <laughs> is a fan of the White Sox. Gideon, Gideon. likes yes. birds. Yes, just no, no one ever can wear crutches or use have crutches <laughs> on a case. That's the one I'm I'm, yes. I'm waiting for. <laughs> exactly. We we pin a lot of things with Gideon this first season, and uh, I'm just making note for for future reference. We're gonna have a blast several <laughs> several years from now. <laughs> uh, I'm so looking forward to it. Oh, the payoff will not be worth it. <laughs> uh, so another theory about this killer was that maybe he simply moved away and, and continued killing elsewhere. However, the FBI's BICAP program, which tracks murders and murderers all around the world. I could have said that last week. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. <laughs> that that has turned up nothing uh, on this particular killer. He has a, a particular knot that was his signature that he used to put in the rope uh, that really identified him as the, the Keystone Killer. They've never seen that particular signature repeated since. Another theory is that maybe this guy actually just died. So there's many different theories of what, why this guy dropped off, basically, is the point. Hence the need for a book right. to explore the theories, as opposed to a book that is entitled, I Caught Him! <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, at the end of his uh, little presentation, he does give a picture of the last victim from all those years ago. When Amy Jennings, who was 23, her infant son was in the next room when she was killed. And basically, Ryan is saying this guy still has a debt to pay. Indeed. After the presentation, we see Ryan signing copies of his book for the crowd. Gideon is sitting there and watching and says uh, Ryan should come back to the BAU for a guest lecture. So I guess... We now see what their relationship is. This is a guy that used to be at the BAU. 
But Ryan says, no, he's retired from that. Gideon says, oh, this is a nice way you got of relaxing, you know, 323 pages on the one that got away. How many pages? 323. How many episodes of Criminal Minds? Oh. It's just a coincidence. (laughs) Because there's going to be people out there. Well, there's going to be people out there, of course. Yeah, because they knew then 14 years ago. (laughs) But some people are going to argue there's 324 episodes. However, uh, there's one episode that's a two-hour block, was aired as a two-hour block. And even though sometimes it's split up into two when they air it, it counts as one episode. So... I'm going with IMDb on this one. Nah. <laughs> I just thought the 323 was a, was a nice coincidence there. And might I just add, I have written two books, and I have had book signings and book readings. And I'd like to think that my book was a little more interesting and entertaining than this. But, you know, I never got a crowd like this, so I'm just bitter and jealous. <laughs> Noted. Should we pin that? <laughs> no, you Let's don't got to pin that. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, Gideon is like asking Ryan what happened to retiring in Florida, you know, playing golf, that type of thing. And and Ryan says uh, Florida is too humid. He misses the seasons, So he's in Philadelphia now, <laughs> to which Gideon says you're in Philadelphia for the seasons. <laughs> that was kind of funny. And basically Gideon is thinks that Ryan is chasing a ghost, so to speak. He's in Philly because he needs to find out. He's obsessed with the Keystone Killer. Case. That would have that would have been a much better episode title, actually. Chasing a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Gideon says, uh, you know, why is he here? He's just knew he was in town, was checking him out, just there to buy the book, though. And he says kind of a funny little line. What can I say? Profilers, they fascinate me. <laughs> he's, he's funny when he's cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> So a a security guard walks up to Ryan and hands him an envelope. Uh, Sorry to interrupt. This is for you. We get a bit of scary music and a black and white series of fast cuts so that we know something is up. And they they go to this, this fast cut black and white throughout the entirety of the episode to draw our attention to nefarious doings, I guess I would say. Yeah, one might say it's this week's director's signature. (laughs) <laughs> yes um so they at first they think maybe it's some fan mail but uh ryan looks at the letter immediately something is up it's actually the letter with the word puzzle uh, so ryan is like screaming hey wait a minute at the security guard who gave this to you and the security guard's like i don't know a guy in a blue jacket so ryan goes and grabs the first nearest guy <laughs> in a blue jacket <laughs> And, uh, I, yeah, this- <laughs> I mean, it's, it's understandable uh, in one hand, but on the other hand, it's like he didn't say who gave it to me. Oh, you know, that guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said some guy in a blue jacket. If it was that guy, he would have said, oh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So they they let that guy go after the security guard is like, hey, not that guy. <laughs> Gideon grabs the letter and reads the part of the letter that's before the puzzle, which says, Who in his mind has not probed the dark water? We're like two volumes of the same book, Max. Why don't we add a few more chapters? So he asks, is this from him, the Keystone Killer? Yeah, Ryan is is sure it is. Says the son of a bitch was right here. He hands Gideon two driver's licenses that belong to victims. If you look at the driver's license, the first one was Amy Jennings, who we know was the last 
person that was killed. And then another one that has the name Carla Bromwell in it. And I thought I was going to catch them in something because I was all, hey, wait a minute. That Carla Bromwell one, that expiration date is in the year 2000 and something. Like I had paused on my, yeah, yeah, thought yeah. I was going to be the armchair detective. And that doesn't make any sense because if the person did it, 18, it wouldn't be expiring in 2000 something. So I thought I was being clever, but this actually makes sense for a different reason, which we'll find out in a short while. Absolutely. And I'm glad that they that they immediately show us the two licenses because, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you got an envelope with a word search in it. Is it the guy? Yeah. Oh, yes, it's absolutely the guy. No, but the, the fact that he has a driver's license, there's your proof. Yeah, right. certainly he, he's connected with the case somehow. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, you're right away thinking copycat like who? Yeah, like this could be somebody messing with him because he's got a popular book about this case. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so uh, basically he wants to lock down the, the bookstore and, and says, no one leaves till I talk to him. And I'm just kind of wondering how that worked out. That's it. We go to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, Ah, delightful. Every week. That was, that was deep this week. I think you really went for it there. I hit a tone. <laughs> So we uh, open up after credits and we're at our familiar BAU offices at Quantico and Gideon gives us our opening quote. Norman McLean wrote, it is those we live with and love and should know who elude us. Elude. Mm, elude. Morgan Reed, Ellen Hotch get off a, an elevator in the office and are walking by and a, a worker is busy waxing the floor. <laughs> so and it's still dark outside. So, you know, it, it's apparently off hours, so to speak. Indeed. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice way of setting the scene without actually having to tell us, even though they're going to tell us 16 times in the scene. <laughs> yes. I also noted that Elle seems to have an interesting new hairdo this episode. She's trying to discover herself. She'll be doing a lot of self-discovery this episode. She doesn't know who she is, Kintad. <laughs> okay. All right. You're just picking up on a theme early, that's all. <laughs> Morgan is talking, he's saying, so they've been here all night. And uh, Hotch says, apparently, and Elle is like, where would any of us be on a Saturday night? It's not like we have lives or anything. <laughs> and Morgan is all, speak for yourself. Hey, <laughs> playa. Swat, <laughs> <laughs> swat. <laughs> and, uh. Reed says very excitedly, guys, we're about to meet Max Ryan, the guy responsible for catching the Boise child killer. But not the Keystone killer. He didn't say that. But, well, but, fair. <laughs> but he's not known for uh, not catching somebody. <laughs> Reed wants to know if anybody's talked to him ever before. And Hotch says, well, he's a pretty intense brusque guy. Not much of a bedside manner. And Elle says, sound like anyone else we know. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> uh, he's retired. He's written a new book on the Keystone Killer case. He moved closer to, to Philadelphia to be near the crime scenes. And Elle says, that's retirement. And Morgan says, B-A-U style. <laughs> and Morgan's got jokes this week. <laughs> yeah. I, Morgan cracks me up this week. So now they're, they're looking at a projection of the latest word search puzzle. Reed reads out the top part of it, the letter, which says, who in his mind's eye has not probed the black water? 
John Steinbeck, East of Eden, which Gideon agrees and says it's a story of good and evil, love and hate. <laughs> Ryan informs the crowd that there's been some new activity on the Keystone killer case. He was at the lecture last night, and unfortunately, they, he got away. Uh, Morgan is like, he got away. And Ryan is like, well, would we have woken you up if we had caught him? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a fair <laughs> point, but I love that one immediately establishes that this is not going to be a fun <laughs> reunion yeah. with a former BAU member. This guy's just got to stick up yeah. as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit of an attitude. Gideon lets them know he handed the letter to the security guard and that they included the two driver's licenses. One was from his last victim and Ryan Snap's last known victim. Um, <laughs> and Gideon says, Amy Jennings strangled in 1987. Meanwhile, we see Reed muttering to himself and scanning the puzzle. And then we can see like little yellow highlights over the words that Reed's brain is finding in the puzzle uh, just to give us a visual aid. <laughs> Yeah, had a lot of words that he doesn't highlight that are in there. I froze it. I did. A, I did a quick little word search myself. You know, we have see, pearl, kill, delude, have false, fake, <laughs> thrilling, decoy, fools. So I'm like, okay, so this is all a letter saying that you you don't know anything. <laughs> yes, Gideon notices that that Reed is is sort of you know having a brain moment and. <laughs> says, what, do you see something? And Reed says, yeah, what's the significance of black bra and gray wool socks? Uh, Ryan says, that's what Amy Jennings was wearing when we found her. That's a lot of detail to remember for 20 years. The Green River Killer couldn't remember where the bodies were buried, much less what they were wearing. And Hotch has a theory. He says, well, you know, some unsubs, they like to take pictures and print them themselves so they can manipulate the scene, bring it to life. That would explain the level of detail that he was able to provide. And Reed is still doing the brain scan on, on the puzzle and says, uh, does no fight in rear window have anything to do with the Jennings case? No, he entered through the front door in the Jennings case. And there was a lot of evidence that Amy Jennings fought him very hard. So he's probably referring to a new victim here. Even better. He's just a um, fan of Alfred Hitchcock. Rear Window was his favorite movie. I mean, you could read in a lot of stuff into this stuff after the yeah. fact. It's this is all Bible code, Bible code nonsense. I mean, I, I'll grant you that you know, okay, gray socks, black wool bra. That's proof that this guy is who he says he is. But you're you're not going to use this puzzle to stop a crime because you're only going to determine the significance after the fact you know unless there were like six words there but there's a lot of words in here so yeah, it it's, couldn't a, it's filled with words yeah yeah so uh he's referring to a new victim here and that's when l says the second driver's license and i go i slap my head because i go okay now that second driver's license makes sense l1 can todd zero <laughs> <sighs> That hurts me so much. I know. <laughs> Gideon says, Carla Bromwell. And Reed is like, yep, there's a C Bromwell here in the puzzle. See, and that's one I wouldn't have gotten Yeah, because it's a name, not a... <laughs> because because it's not something that it's, would, would have stood out to you until you know that you're looking for Carla Bromwell. So that's, that's the thing. Right. It's like after the fact, oh, it was in the puzzle the whole time. But you cannot use this as anything to help you solve this case. It, right. it is what it was at the beginning. 
it's a puzzle this guy sent to taunt you. That's it. Exactly. Gideon informs us that Philly PD went to the address on Carla Bromwell's license and they found her body and she was suffocated, suffocated to death with a plastic bag, which immediately raises flags because all of his previous victims were strangled. So now it seems like maybe his MO is different. It's possible. I mean, the, the puzzle the puzzle does have the word suffocate in it, and it's, it also has the word thrilling. So maybe he just thinks that suffocation is now thrilling to him. You don't know! <laughs> yes. Uh, they do wonder, L wonders if he hasn't been killing all along. Hotch says, you know, it would have been kind of hard to tie these new murders to the Keystone Killer with the change in methodology and MO and all the time that's gone by between the kills. But Ryan, again, being a little snotty, is like, if he had been active, I would have known. Reed says it's not entirely impossible that an unsub would switch his MO. Zodiac Killer went from stabbing people to shooting them. Ryan says yes, but this guy wanted to take credit. He didn't do anything in secret. And JJ walks in at this point. Hi, JJ. (laughs) Uh, And she says, I would say good morning, but it's still dark outside. (laughs) Yeah. JJ shares a picture of a, a suffocated a, a, a body in a with a plastic bag over its head, suffocated woman. And JJ says, this is Carla Bromwell and says, uh, Gideon, can you put it on the news? And once again, they turn on the TV. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Exposition TV, Exposition TV, Exposition, Exposition, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now that you've turned me on, I'll tell you all that we know about this letter that has something to do with the case, and we'll tell you about it right now on Exposition TV. Thanks for tuning in. And I love how they always turn it on the TV, just flick the switch, and it's on the channel, and the news happens to be starting right then. Um, <laughs> Apparently, the Keystone Killer has also sent his letters off to the the news media. Uh, So they're basically reporting on the story. Hotch is like, oh, this guy works fast. Gideon's like, that's an understatement. Hotch says, meet you on the plane in 30 minutes. Ryan says, I'm coming with you. (laughs) I'm not asking, Jason. So he's not asking. He's just going to insert himself. Okay. I mean, Jason didn't say no. (laughs) He didn't. We cut to our BAU jet, and they're talking to uh, Garcia, who's on the computer monitor. And she's saying that Philly PD has confirmed Carla Bromwell's been dead less than 12 hours. She was 47 years old. And again, this is going against the profile because now the the victims are older as well. He had previously been killing younger women and it's unusual they tell us that the victimology rarely changes for serial killers so now we have the mo changing and now we have the victimology changing garcia says her hands and feet were bound with flex cuffs and ryan says flex cuffs no ropes yep so now even the rope part with the signature has apparently changed i'm telling you it's him it's him except for that 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 (laughs) That and that. <laughs> but it's him! <laughs> Morgan is saying maybe it just means we've got a copycat on our hands. And Ryan is like, a copycat who just happens to have Amy Jennings' driver's license. No, no, it's him. He storms off sort to of, another corner of the jet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he goes uh, to a different part of the plane. 
one would assume he could still have the conversation. It's not a jumbo liner 737. <laughs> he didn't go off to the cockpit or in the restroom or anything. But anyway, they start talking about him right away. Morgan says, how are we supposed to work with him, Gideon? He doesn't, he's not even an active agent. Gideon says, look, he's here because he knows this case better than any of us. We're leading the investigation. He's only consulting. And Morgan with the great comeback, does he know that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then we cut over to Ryan, who is holding up the picture of the latest victim so that we can Kodak travel to the scene. Oh, yes. He, he holds that. I mean, he held on that a really long time, too. It's like, oh, the angle's not right. A little to the left, a little left. And zoom in right here. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in Carla Bromwell's bedroom. Her body is still on the bed. I mean, I don't know how long that flight was. It just always amazes me that they keep everything like right there until BAU that's, shows up. That's but what you do. This, it, that's, that's procedure. What they, that's it's what like you do. Until the coroner has cleared the scene and it says, it says you can move the body until the detectives all sign off and say you can move the body. Like it, the, everything stays put. We meet our local detective for this particular case. Although sadly, we don't he doesn't really have much of a part in the proceedings this week. Normally we have that dichotomy. Well, but. there's usually I mean I would, I would say there's usually one outsider who works with the BAU and you know, they were very kind. They provided their own outsider. Right. <laughs> brought him through the case with them. <laughs> but anyway, Detective uh Santangelo introduces himself from the Philly PD. He's wondering if they think that the Keystone, it's actually the Keystone Killer. Ryan answers for Gideon. Yes, we do. <laughs> and Sant'Angelo says, oh, Agent Ryan, detective. So they know each other. Yes. Because he's been in Philly, probably digging into this case the whole time. Sant'Angelo says, should have guessed you'd show up sooner or later. Gideon lets him know he's consulting with us. <laughs> Says it just not enough for Ryan to hear, too. <laughs> yes. L says, yes, asks if CSI is done processing the body. Santangelo's like, yep, we'll get out of your way. Ryan says, thanks. And uh, this is his eighth victim because he knows everything. He does. L notes that there's no bruising on the wrists, ankles, or necks or neck. Just one good size blunt force head trauma. It's probably been just a surprise attack. Which, of course, again, is another X in the column of it's the guy that they've been looking for all these years. But, you know, so what? <laughs> Elle makes the connection to the puzzle. She says, well, yeah, the puzzle said no fight. And Ryan snaps at her. I know what the puzzle said. <laughs> I'm having fun with the Ryan snaps. It, it Just imagine every line as being Ryan snaps back. <laughs> he, he's, he's got... Uh... He's made some acting choices. <laughs> yes. Gideon points out that the head wound is extensive, that our unsub's level of violence seems to be escalating. L is saying, well, this bedroom is in front of the house, and the puzzle mentioned a rear window. Maybe he left a print. Ryan says, no way. <laughs> L says, I think I'm going to check it out anyway. Ryan says, Look, you do what you want to do, but believe me, you're wasting your time. She leaves. Gideon has to convince Max that, you know what? Elle's good at this. Max snaps. <laughs> Did I say she wasn't? 
and but he also seems excited. Yeah, I, I will say, I will say it, it. That moment really opened up uh, my eyes a little bit when he's like, "Did I say that you wasn't?" Which just really reflected back to when you know, like Gideon with Garcia, and like who, you know, Garcia. Oh yeah, yeah, she's great. <laughs> like this. Yeah, I think this episode. I think uh, Mandy Patinkin does a really good job of playing Gideon watching how others see him by how he is seeing Ryan. And he's getting a really good idea of like, oh, is this how they see me? It started with L, even though he didn't hear it. We're all saying, who else do we know who's like that? But now he's seeing, oh, crap, I act like this. Mm. So, we'll, you know, it, it, I think it's a really nice, uh, nice job of uh, in, in interjecting this character, not just because it's an interesting plot twist, but it's going to how it's going to impact our characters moving on. And I think this might have an impact. Hopefully we'll see on Gideon moving forward. Very nice. Definitely. Gideon reminds Max Ryan uh, what he said to him on his first day. Don't lose your objectivity. This isn't personal. And Ryan says, yeah, well, maybe not for you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to outside of the house, I assume, is where they are. And it's JJ talking to the press. And the press is, of course, asking her if this is the Keystone Killer. JJ is saying, we can't confirm this at that this time. We're going to be making a formal statement later. And another reporter says, we've received more information from the murderer than from the police. What's going on? <laughs> Said the sassy reporter. <laughs> and an another reporter's like, yeah, we have the right to know the truth. And uh, JJ is like, look, the police first have to finish investigating this crime scene before we can make a statement. We'll answer all your questions at that time. Please be patient. And the reporters are like, ma'am, can we expect that statement today? Do you know anything about motive? So, like, I hate how reporters are portrayed on this show a lot. And I know that there are times when reporters do act like this, but it, it's so unrealistic, first of all, for them to have the press conference at this point anyway. Um, the fact that the fact that they've gathered them all, like usually the police will come out and make a statement and not just JJ on behalf of, well, the, we have to wait for the police to find stuff out. It, there's got to be some understanding from the press. Like, you know, a bomb goes off in a building. Who did it? Who did it? It happened five minutes ago. Give, give us a second. We haven't gotten <laughs> yeah. in the building yet. Can we invest? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could ask the questions, but don't ask the questions that these people expect an answer. She's like, uh, I just got here. Give me a minute. I'll get back to you. I'm just establishing a line of communication here. I'll be back when I find something. You know, it, it, it it's frustrating. <laughs> and it was kind of cheeky of that one reporter saying, well, we got more information from the murderer than from you guys. Again, you guys got the note probably around the same time. They have to yeah, investigate. We, we're not hiding anything from you <laughs> if we don't know yet. Like, give us a second. Like, so, yeah, yes. I... I hate that there's always this antagonism between uh, the media and and the, the police when it's it's blown up for this, you know, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, you don't need this scene here because you're going to have another press conference later. And that's when you can do that stuff. Like, it's really it feels just more like filler and a reason for J.J. to get a few more lines of dialogue. But, she, she uh, you know, she looks like an idiot in their eyes. But really, what else is she going to say? Like, I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know. The body's still here. We ha- <laughs> What'd you find on the body? It's still here. We have. <laughs> we don't know. There's no way anyone could know. Stop asking yeah. me questions. <laughs> uh, we cut back into the house. Reed and Hotch are coming up the stairs, and Reed is asking Hotch what he thinks of Mr. Ryan. And Hotch says, well, he, he hasn't changed much. And Reed says, you know, we can learn a, a lot from him. And Hotch says, what could you possibly learn that you don't already know? It's hysterical to me. And Reed says, Hotch, repetitive thinking is the death knell for the brain. For complete brain usage, diverse stimulation is the key, which is a very Reed thing to say. He gets excited about the learning and the process of learning and the process about the process of learning. And it's like, oh my gosh, Reed, shut up. <laughs> and they're looking around and... Uh, Basically, Reed says, look at this. He's actually found another word puzzle at the scene. So they go to show it to everyone else. Found another note. Not only do they go show it to everyone else, but Hotch actually says out loud, let's go show this to everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Yeah. If the man doesn't have dialogue, he doesn't need to have dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan grabs the note, says, let me see that. He reads it out loud. In order for the light to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present. And Gideon, who of course knows all about quotes, says he is quoting Sir Francis Bacon now. And Ryan says, I used this specific quote on, and he's interrupted by Reed, who says, in your book on page 184, I read it on the plane. (laughs) And Ryan says, and you remember the page number and the quote? <laughs> to which Morgan is like, don't ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a good character moment, again, for like, you know, let's show off Reed's uh, perfect memory here, his eidetic memory. I, I, I do wish, though, that Reed, that uh, Ryan had just said, this quote is from my book, without, the, again, the exchange there. It's like, we, look, let's just re- let Reed be the one who knows all the quotes. We don't need Gideon to know who the quote is from. You know, <laughs> Ryan could have said, and here's the quote, and it, oh my gosh, that's from my book. And the because like, yes, it's from Sir Francis Bacon, and it's on page 187. Like that, it's, it's the same dialogue, but it's like, let's consolidate it in one character here. It's just, again, sloppy writing because we have to get Gideon an extra line of dialogue. I mean, come on. Yeah. Hotch says, uh, reading the letter, it also says to expect another gift in two days. Gideon explains he calls his victims gifts. Uh, L says, gifts for whom? And Ryan says dramatically, for me. (laughs) Uh, We zoom in on the body again, and then we cut to what looks like a dark room. We see pictures of various women on the walls, uh, clippings about the Keystone Killer case. We see uh, Ryan's book uh, (laughs) and uh, a lot of black and white fast cuts once again and the ominous music once again. And then we see a hand reaching out and taking down a picture of a blonde woman. Uh, The hand opens the photo album, which has pictures of dead women and puts this latest photo into the album. John Doe's got the upper hand. (laughs) It's, it's the flash to the lair of the creepy guy who, you know, is just, it's just there for the dramatic effect. Uh, But now at least we know that we have a killer and this is the killer, but we learned nothing from this. (laughs) We get the picture of maybe who his next victim yeah, is going to be, but maybe. we we don't know. 
we come back to a shot of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And so nice just to get, you know, a city yeah, shot. Not Philadelphia, Mississippi. So good to know which Philadelphia <laughs> we're in. <laughs> and we and we cut to the uh, local police precinct where Hotch and Gideon are basically doing the profile. So we're in our profile scene. A lot of things have changed in the last 20 years, including the age of the Keystone Killers victims. Santangelo is like, well, he's older. His victims are older. It makes sense to me. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. This is this is a very normal thing for, to, to be asked. It's, it's like the Emo Phillips joke when he goes, you know, I was walking down the street. And I saw Tommy Jenkins, who I knew from kindergarten. And I say, Tommy Jenkins, Tommy Jenkins. And he starts crying, wah, 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 get away from me, who are you? And then I realized if that was Tommy Jenkins, he'd have grown up too. <laughs> Emo. <laughs> but the point being is that, yeah, that's yes. a logical assumption. Like, oh, maybe the victims are just older because he's older. Yeah. But Hotch explains, most unsubs have very specific fantasies, and it's like they're killing the same per person over and over again. This guy had a particular preference for young brunettes, but now he has switched to older women. Santangelo is like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and Reed says, well, he brings up Ted Bundy, who only killed women that looked like his fiancée. But then he developed, devolved, sorry, he devolved and brutally attacked a house full of sorority sisters that looked nothing like his previous victims. He went off script. His final victim was a 12-year-old girl. And during all this, Reed is walking around what I assume is the blue van of Ted Bundy's. Yeah. And We've we got Ted Bundy a, on Criminal bloody, Eyes, everybody. <laughs> yes. We see a bloody Ted Bundy sitting in the, in the front seat. Uh, you must have hated it. I know you hate when they when they even turn and look at the flashback, but here Reed actually walks around the vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's he is yeah. He looks through the window of the van at us uh from the other side. And I'm just like, yeah. It's a choice. <laughs> uh it is a choice. I and you know, I guess it, it didn't bother me as much as usual. I don't know why. Uh, I guess because he was still taught, he was narrating throughout and and acknowledging that he was uh, painting a scene for us, and so this is yeah. the scene. But yeah, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of any of the profile time. So, <laughs> so uh, again, Reed says when the police found Bundy's van that he used to kill this girl, the amount of blood just it meant that he had lost complete control, basically, and that's eventually what led to his capture. Gideon says, yes, he could be devolving into a frenzy, to which Santangelo says, so you mean he's about to mess up? Morgan says, it's only a theory right now. We need to be prepared for anything. And Hotch says, and if he is in a frenzy, there's no telling how quick he'll fall apart uh, or how many more victims he'll take. So they're going to go over everything they know, old and new. Hopefully they can find this guy before they find another body. Gideon uh, says, uh, we'll start with Agent Ryan's original profile, uh, Max, do you want to present it? To which Ryan says no and turns around and walks out of the room. And now at least he proved that he can walk out of a room. <laughs> it's yes. not like on the plane. He didn't like walk to the corner and just turn around. He actually left the room. Good for him. Yeah. Way uh, to be helpful. Well, you know, yeah. he could have just said, no, I'm just consulting. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of would have loved that. Um, <laughs> 
Low key, I would have loved that. Um, so Hotch has to take over and he says, we're looking for a white male in his late 40s. The controlled crime scenes, the meticulousness and the collection of trophies suggest possible military background. And he's going on. Uh, but meanwhile, we follow Gideon, who is following Ryan out of the room. And he asks him, what's up? Ryan is like, I thought you were going to handle do the profile. And Gideon says, the team can handle it. And Ryan says, oh, the team. <laughs> we used to work solo when this all started. <laughs> to which Gideon says, well, we were wrong. Ryan says, you don't worry about too many cooks. Gideon says, nope. And we get to see what's really sort of bugging Ryan. He says, he used a quote, Jason. He used a quote from my book. Gideon says, so maybe it's a coincidence. And Ryan says, we've both been doing this too long to believe that. Fair. We cut back to an office, uh, another office in the, in the station. We see Hotch and he's saying, all right, let's focus on the differences in the crimes. What's he doing that's new? Well, his latest victim was hit in the head. That's new. And Morgan says in the word puzzle, he said she didn't fight. So why do we? Why did he hit her? To scare her, to show that he's in charge. He's never done that before. And a blow that hard probably wouldn't scare her, uh, is what Elle says. Morgan says, yeah, I'd probably just knock her unconscious in order to do what? To control her. Uh, Gideon points out he switched from using ropes to flex cuffs. This intricate knot used to be part of his signature. Morgan says flex cuffs are easier. It probably saved him some time. And Gideon is saying, no, no, there's there's something more than that. Because he used to tie the rope meticulously. Uh, it was really part of his, his uh, hors de voix. <laughs> is that a phrase? Hors de voix? You mean hors d'oeuvres? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I mean, AJ. It his appetizer. It- <laughs> <laughs> it was his modus operandi. It was his uh, joie de vivre. Yeah, thank it was- you. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Joie, joie de vivre. There you go. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Those damn French with all their uh, metaphors. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it was really important to him because it was something that was completely unnecessary, you know, to do. So, and Al points out, and he's abandoned this, and, and he's abandoned the use of using his bare hands to strangle which means his kills are less personal and less controlling. And Morgan is like, all right, guys, let's just forget all this. Okay, let's just treat him like he's a new offender. Thank you, Morgan. Like, I I, I wish they would get to these things a lot faster, where it's just like, uh, whenever they go in and say, all right, we assume it's the guy, and they start trying to fit the facts into the guy, it's always going to point back to the guy. It's like, just start from scratch. What if it's not the guy? Yeah. If it ends up being the guy, at least we know who he is. Right. Reed is uh, still uh, looking at the puzzle, basically, and uh, says he's found a name. L looks at it and says, Nebras. Nebras. That's a name? (laughs) From what country? (laughs) And Reed says, uh, it's backwards. It's S. Harbin. And there was a Scott Harbin on Ryan's original suspect list. Uh, Ryan is walking into the office and he says, it's not Scott Harbin. Harbin went to jail in 1988 for stabbing a guy while he was trying to escape during a home invasion. That guy later died. Harbin didn't even know there was anyone at the home the time he broke in. Morgan asks how long he got. Ryan says 30 years. Gideon says, so it makes him a little more than halfway done. And Hotch says, unless he's been paroled. And 
which is thank you. But Ryan says, no, 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 that's too easy. I, I interviewed him twice. He's a pervert. He's a small time burglar. He's a creep. He's not the Keystone killer. Believe me, our guy has not been in jail all these years. And Morgan says, all right, cool. I'm going to do what I was going to do anyway. Call Garcia, <laughs> see what she can dig up on this guy. And Ryan starts yelling, actually, raising his voice. It's not the guy. He's not the guy. And it's just tense for a few moments. And then he, he leaves the office. So, again, using those walk out of the room skills of he, his. He's got, he's got a uh, signature of his own. <laughs> it's walk yes. out of the room. You know, it, it, it's, it's ironic because, you know, it, it, the beginning of the episode, when we looked at the first puzzle, anything that's in there that was uh, appropriate for the case, then, oh, of course, see, put it in there on purpose. You know, no, Reed finds S. Harvin in the puzzle. It's like, well, I don't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no he put it in there on purpose he could have put any letters in it was there it's there for a reason it doesn't necessarily mean that he's the killer could be his next victim you don't know but it means something yeah. uh, again we don't right. know how to predict but it's there so let's at least explore the possibility <laughs> hotch does take a moment to ask gideon what's going on what are we doing here Ooh, we what up with that what up with that <laughs> <laughs> and Jason Sudeikis bursts out in a sweatsuit and starts dancing. He's like, what do you mean? And Hotch says, look, is Ryan interested in catching the Keystone Killer or does he just want to prove that he's right? Which is a good question. Why can't it be both? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to Garcia, who's clicking, clacking away as she is prone to do. And she's telling Morgan that Scott Harbin was actually paroled three months ago. To, and he was paroled to Philly. Guess what? He missed his uh, last appointment with his parole officer. And Morgan says, well, that right there makes him a wanted man, doesn't it? And uh, Garcia says, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I have an address for him. You know what that means. I get to bust down the door. Exactly. <laughs> Give me that Addy. <laughs> uh, so we cut to FBI swap outside of some suburban home and then breaching the home. And uh, Ella's there and uh, stop, stop. I said, stop. Harbin is there. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> um, Elle is like, are you Scott Harbin? And what? Yes. Scott Harbin. Yeah. Uh, Ryan says that's Scott Harbin. <laughs> and Harbin is like, Hey, <laughs> uh, Elle says, come on. And he and Harbin is talking to Ryan at this point. He's like, Ryan, you got old. Um, to which he says, haven't we all? Gideon says, uh, you missed an appointment with your parole officer, Scott. And Harbin is like, oh, so that's what they send the FBI for now? These parole violations, really? And Elle says, yeah, we were in the neighborhood. <laughs> it's cute. But, you know, uh, I think Morgan's probably a little uh, salty right now because Elle is the one who got to tackle the fleeing dude. But... <laughs> Yeah. That's my job, Elle. You're supposed to stand there and ask questions. <laughs> Hopefully later in the episode, we'll make up for that for Morgan so Me. that he doesn't feel completely yeah. deflated. <laughs> Hotch and Morgan are searching Harbin's house. They open a drawer and, and Morgan points out that all of his uh, socks are three inches from the edge and the underwear are six each inches, which is something that they teach you in basic training. So the thought that he might have a military background might be accurate. 
Then Hotch uh, opens uh, a closet uh, and says, hey, Morgan, what's the chances that he labels his secrets? And then we cut uh, to Gideon, who's asking Ryan what he thinks. Ryan is saying, I don't know. He see, he does seem to be a guy who needs to be in control. They point out he's definitely obsessive. Everything has its place. Probably comes from years of solitude and a strict upbringing. This is a guy who likes to be alone. Harbin is like, are you finished? Because <laughs> you know, he's point, clearly OCD he's... and they're touching his stuff and moving it around and it's really bothering him. I don't think he's being snarky here. I just, he can't help himself. He's like, stop touching my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Elle, at this point, uh, she gets a little unhinged here, I would say. She's uh, very reminiscent of uh, of Joe Pesci of Goodfellas all of a sudden getting up in his face. Do I amuse you? No, she says, did I make you angry? Did I upset you? What, are you going to hurt me? Something has triggered Elle at this oh, point. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I move one of your precious little files two inches to the left? Like, jeez, yeah. Uh, yeah. She is a little unhinged by this. And uh, uh, it, 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 she doesn't wear it well. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Uh, yeah, so Elle is like, are you going to hurt me? And he says, oh, I'm not stupid. She says, no, no, you wouldn't hurt me here. You'd wait and sneak up behind me and hit me over the head when I'm not looking. What's the matter, Scotty? You can't deal with a woman who's not afraid of you. Okay. <laughs> All right, Elle. She's coming out a little Elle, strong. Elle, lower it to six. We don't need 11. <laughs> <laughs> Hotch is uh, back in the room. He's He opens up this credenza type a piece of furniture credenza that's not the right no, word it's is it's it, it, it's cool it's just it's just a fun fun new word uh, it's an amway <laughs> <laughs> no, i i just i love the fact that this is now this is going to be the second time in two minutes that Hodge is like hey morgan check this out <laughs> yes <laughs> and maybe maybe yeah. he, maybe he recognizes maybe Hotch is just this is my theory Hotch is that good of a leader he sees morgan's upset he didn't get to tackle and so he's involving morgan in everything Hey, Morgan, check this out. What do you think of this? <laughs> uh, yeah, so he calls him over and, and uh, points out movie-making video stuff, basically, and says, you think he makes his own movies? Morgan thinks so, and Hodge says, well, where are the tapes? So they start searching through the uh, evidence which, boxes. Which, which I thought was a bit premature. It was like, you know, he, he opened up the you know the cabinet and like the credenza and oh it's got movie making equipment there's another drawer right there that he hasn't opened yet he goes oh i wonder where the tapes are well why don't you check that drawer first <laughs> open it up and see that there are either tapes there and go hey and look i found the tapes or hmm the tapes aren't in here i wonder where the tapes are because i'm looking like okay that's where the tv and the camera is the tapes are probably below them Right. Somewhere right there. Call me crazy. (laughs) We cut away to Gideon, who is like, probably like, I got to take care of Elle again. But um, (laughs) he goes to to see what's going on with her. He's like, hey, are you okay? And Elle's trying to play it off like, oh, why? What do you mean? And Gideon is like, it got a little hot back there. A little little bit. Look, look, Elle, (laughs) this is me saying it to you. So you know it must have been a little over the line. (laughs) It's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Elle is like, did I say anything that wasn't true? Did I stutter? Uh, (laughs) Look, I didn't. I didn't start telling me what's the bad. And (laughs) that's your deal. (laughs) Right. Gideon says no. And then Elle says, well, I guess that I'm fine. 
So something's going on with her. Yeah, clearly. I mean, first the haircut. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a wooden bed frame under the bed in the room that uh, Hotch and Morgan are searching, and, and Hotch is, is pounding on it, and he hears a hollow sound, and he's like, oh, hear that, Morgan? Morgan? Hey, hey Morgan! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he gives him a hand, and uh, they pull out a compartment, and holy moly, AJ, this actually surprised me. I thought they were going to find the tapes, maybe, or yeah. <laughs> some kind of clue. And actually, there is a bound and gagged woman uh, under the bed this whole time. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, that was a good shock moment for me. Yeah, I'll admit to it. So uh, it's like all of a sudden a bit of pandemonium. Hey, help, a little help. They pull the gag out of the woman and she's like, you know, obviously frightened, saying, no, no, no. They're like, oh, it's OK. It's OK. We're the FBI. Get an ambulance. Get right now. Move. Call it. Call the EMT, et cetera. Get JJ out there to talk to the press so they can ask what this woman's deal is and what's wrong with her and if she's going to be OK. And if Because <laughs> we clearly know all the answers immediately. <laughs> yes. We cut to uh, it's a little bit later outside of the house. Uh, the woman is being taken out on a stretcher. I mean, she didn't actually give a little thumbs up. But <laughs> I feel like that we got to see her, that she's she'll be you know, okay. alive yeah. and yeah. she'll be okay. She's like, she's being wheeled out on a stretcher, not in a body bag. So, you know, that's yes. usually a good sign. <laughs> so now Gideon is talking with Ryan. Gideon says, you know, this is a, he was single. He had and he uh, had a military background. He was obsessive. He fits your profile. And Ryan is like, but he keeps his victims in his house. He's that far off a script and Morgan gets to do something. He sees that there is a note stuck on uh, the windshield of the of the car. It says, Ryan, this note's got your name on it. So he starts to read it. It says, isn't Scott Harbin an inelegant creature, a monster? There's no light with him, no balance. He's pure evil. Balance is what gives one mercy. You'll be reminded of my brand of mercy tomorrow, Max. Morgan asks, what does that mean? Gideon says, Scott Harbin's a predator, just not the one we were looking for. Gordon off the area for about a six block radius. Somebody's got to have seen this guy. Yeah. So. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> now, I'm going to point out here, you know, normally I'd wait till we get to the point in the episode where it's relevant. I'm going to point out here. Now, did you happen to notice that there was a strange looking individual standing there behind Ryan when this was going on? So I didn't notice it at that time. Yeah, there, there is definitely, I noticed it at the time and I didn't remember who the unsub was at this point, but I, I, you know, you're pulling out, there's a bald guy staring right at Ryan. (laughs) Bald guy glasses. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. huh. I think then I was like, that's okay, because I know where the story is going, and I know we're going to eventually find the unsub. And we're not going to just disappear into the ether here. I was like, okay, so that's, that's I'm like, oh, so our unsub is there. I went back to the original scene, and I said, so he's probably at the bookstore too. And yes, if you watch that original scene, the very first pan, right before it gets to the projector, he's sitting directly behind the projector as well in the bookstore. So well done on planting the seeds that every time the note is dropped off, 
our unsub is actually in shot and not hiding and they don't retcon it in a, you know, yeah. kind of lost Nikki and Paolo way where it's like, no, no, they were there the whole time. <laughs> like he's very visible in both scenes. So we could have figured it out. Uh, we have not met him yet in this episode formally, yeah. but he is there. I, yeah, I didn't think at the time to look for it. So, uh, and why would I? Yeah, but <laughs> no, I just because he. But it's good to yeah because he was bald, um, and because he was just standing there and not talking to anyone and staring directly at Ryan. It it did jump off. But again, I'm looking for it at that point <laughs> a little more closely than just casually watching. Going, oh, he got a note. I'm like, as soon as he got the note, I'm like, where is he? Where is he? He's got to be there. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there was a uh, little bit of a break. And when we come back, we're back at the police station and our, our team is walking in from their triumphant capture of Scott Harbin. Yeah. But that's not the guy. But Morgan says, well, that's got to be a first a killer leading us to another killer. And uh, Gideon says, come on. We all know they make the best profilers. They admire each other's work. El says, yeah, but usually from afar. But at least they got Harbin off the street. All right, so they want to review the case. What do they know about the Keystone Killer? They know he's not dead or in jail. He enjoys the taunting. He enjoys the game. He's in complete control. He strangled seven women in the 80s, stopped for 18 years, then began again suffocating them. 10% of all violent crimes. This is Reed, by the way. Whenever you hear me say percentages or, <laughs> yeah, or stats, just assume it's Reed. 10% uh, of all violent crimes are caused by strangulation. It only takes 11 pounds of pressure to fully incapacitate your victim. And if you hang on for at least 50 seconds, they'll never recover. But when you suffocate someone, you actually have less control over their death. It's actually way more passive because you don't feel the, the life leaving the body. L says he's changed almost everything he does. And Gideon says, why, 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 <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't be asking who did this. We should be asking why did they do this? Yeah. What What is he getting out of his new MO? Where's the payoff? Carla Bromwell, she got a significant head injury. It's a blitz attack, which suggests disorganization. No self-confidence. But prior to this, this is a guy who walked into seven victims' homes. There was no forced entry. Where's the loss of confidence? Why? Ryan says he would never change the way he kills by choice, which is the key. Ryan says we've been operating under the assumption that he purposely changed his MO. Gideon says you're saying that he changed because he had to change. Morgan says he knocked her unconscious. It wasn't to scare her. L finishes that thought because he couldn't control her physically while she was awake. Ryan points out, well, maybe he's incapacitated the unsub. Gideon says at least partially and Yes, maybe an injury or a stroke. Aha! Light bulb! So they're going to have to have some medical records, right? If something happened to this guy. So what are they talking about? This had to happen sometime in the middle of 1988 in Philadelphia. Gideon says, yeah, somebody who fits the rest of the profile. Reed says, well, that's a lot of hospital records. And Gideon says, call our girl Friday. <laughs> Her name's not Friday, it's Garcia. <laughs> Jeez, Gideon. Have you learned nothing? <laughs> and so Morgan is like, okay, because he knows his, it's his job to, 
to to be calling Garcia. No, I'm gonna be calling Garcia. I don't want anyone else to do it. Yeah, I mean it's a long scene. It could have been a lot quicker to get there, but they get there. So kudos. That's a lot of people to check though. Like check every yeah. hospital in the Philadelphia area <laughs> for any accident from nineteen eighty eight. Wow. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. But I did like I also liked the, you know, step to step way they figured it out and it made sense there yeah. was nothing that seemed yeah no crazy. It, it, it's yeah. To, it totally makes sense it's just you know this show likes to play a little loosey-goosey as to how quickly they can come to conclusions or dismiss other theories or you know openness to thinking about it a different way and so okay i, I wish they was it was a little bit tighter but like you said it does make sense when you spell it out I, they could have done this 20 minutes ago <laughs> yeah uh so we cut away to JJ doing her press conference. And again, these are some snotty reporters. It's Philly, man. <laughs> it's Philly. <laughs> this is my this yeah. is my this is my local stations. Like I mean, I'm not I don't live in Philly. I live an hour <laughs> out of Philly uh, in New Jersey, but uh-huh. we get the Philadelphia local stations. And let me tell you, they're brutal, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought it was just the sports fans, but it's just Philly. <laughs> it is. There's a certain, look, there's a reason that their mascot is a giant orange Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> so JJ basically starts describing the profile. And basically this reporter, this snide reporter says, well, you just described half the men living in Philadelphia. How does that help us? It's like, damn, reporter. So you're saying he's, uh, you're saying he's an asshole. That doesn't help us at all. <laughs> By the way, have you seen Jay- Mayor of Easttown? That stuff is unbelievable. No one talks like that. <laughs> Quick, go to Wawa and get me a coffee. Water ice. I, I wish I had... I wish I had been watching uh, Mayor of Easttown, AJ, just because that would have helped me in, in some of my trivia the other day. But anyway, <laughs> not relevant to this. Um, so, yeah, JJ's trying to finish, but the reporters keep interrupting her. How close are you to making an arrest? But finally, eventually, somebody stands up who apparently is not a reporter, but I guess at a press conference, if you're there, you can ask a Well, question yeah, let's, let's get into something. this. this is, I had to comment on this, too. It's like, so the guy stands up, it turns out this is Philip Bromwell, who is Carla's brother, and he's going to make a heartfelt plea as to, you know, what are you doing to catch my sister's murderer? Is there nothing to be done for her? And uh, yeah, my, my initial reaction is, why is he here at the press conference and not in a room talking to the cop? I understand him coming to the station. I understand he wanted to talk to someone. Are the cops that busy that they just left him here hanging out with the, with the reporters? <laughs> or or did he not come inside and he's like, oh, maybe if I go in with reporters, they'll talk to me? Like It, it does seem odd that this is his in to, to get some attention. Yeah. Um, so, or, you know, did he, did he talk to the cops like, look, we don't know anything. We'll get back to you. And he decided to hang out. This is a story that just needed a little bit more fleshing out because I don't think you would just have no the victim, uh, the victim's brother hanging out with the cops that uh, and and the press just willy nilly. Yeah, Yeah, it was it was quite odd. And he basically is like, "How are you? Can you explain what I'm supposed to tell my mother about this?" And I I mean, I felt bad for the guy. No, absolutely, he has every right to be heard. (laughs) This is a weird weird way for it to happen. And then, you know, like the process is like, yeah, why Why do you have the, the guy? Why is Ryan here? Because he couldn't solve this case 18 years ago. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, you, what is up with Philly, AJ? You're pointing it out. <laughs> Damn. By the way, by the way, what do you think about Benjamin Franklin? Are you a fan? <laughs> <laughs> So, Ryan, by the way, is watching this. We cut to him for a second, who's who's watching this press conference. And he's saying, I, I'd hate to be, you know, standing there in front of all those jackals. And L gives JJ a little props. Hey, it's JJ. She can hold her own. Yeah, but did you notice here? Now, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Again, I like when they do this. They kind of cut from the actual press conference to them watching video of the press conference, which is always a cool right. way to transition from scenes. It, it gives you a sense of time. Uh, but did you notice that the the TV they're watching just fades to, just goes to black? Like they ran out of B-roll? Oh, no. <laughs> no I yeah, didn't, they didn't turn it they off. They didn't even cut to an they didn't cut to an explosion or a freeway right, chase. Exactly. So they didn't. <laughs> the press conference. She's she's continued to talk at the press conference. Like now, people, I will I will answer all your questions. And they're talking about her, and it just goes black because that's all the B roll they shot. <laughs> it's poorly done there. They could have at least had one of them turn it off, or or you know, mm, mm. cutting corners, criminal minds, cutting corners. <laughs> so. This is like a nice little private scene, private moment between Agent Ryan and uh, and L, and he's saying uh, to her that you're all better at the press thing than we ever were, and L is saying, well, we have to deal with it a lot more of it to deal with now, and Ryan says, well, they need someone to blame. I guess it's me, and L uh, thinks about it, and she's like, are you okay? How do you feel about that, basically? And he says, uh, it's a fact that he hasn't been able to solve the case. So he's an easy target. But if they are able to close the case, then that will all go away. Well, actually, actually, what he says here, it was really actually a nice moment. It shows character growth. He says, well, if I, if we close this case. Yes. So it's just like he's embracing the idea that these are not idiots around him, that this team Gideon's uh, collected is actually quite good at their job and this is his way of apologizing to Al for the comments earlier and right. he recognizes that a team yes. can help. Al says, do you think you'll be able to, you know, just walk away if we, when we close this? Ryan says he won't have any choice. And Al asks him, but don't you want to? I mean, don't you get to a certain point where you want to relax, maybe spend some time with your family? And he says, family? I lost that a long time ago. I haven't seen them in years. And as far as relaxing, well, BAU doesn't employ too many agents with a relaxing kind of mentality, do they? Well, we've got some records to go through. <laughs> and again, a nice moment here because L seems very introspective about all this. And is like, uh, uh, by bringing Max in, it reminds Gideon of what he's become and, and where he was when he looked up to this guy and how he's modeled his behavior after him. And now maybe he needs to change. And now seeing this is my future and what I could become, I don't know if I like this. It was really nice that right. they might have just, they should have just named the character Mirror Ryan because he's just been a mirror for everyone <laughs> to stare at. So next we cut to a school classroom and we see a, a woman helping out some students and this is the blonde woman from the picture from before, AJ. We don't learn till a little bit later. Her name is Sylvia, but I'm going to call sure. her Sylvia. Just to cut corner, you know. Just, just, just don't run out of B-roll and I'll be all out. Uh, 
<laughs> and then while she's in this class, we get all that flash cutting, creepy music, black and white flash cuts. So we know that our villain must be here and it's a point of view. And the blonde lady, Sylvia, uh, looks up, smiles, and apparently is waving at our unsub. So she yes. knows him. Interesting turn of events here. We'll see where that goes very shortly. Mm-hmm. Commercial uh, we c- Yes, <laughs> commercial break. Uh, when we come back, we're back at the police station. They're still trying to figure out how to find this guy that Hotch is talking about. Uh, they lost strength permanently. He's still thinking that maybe it's a stroke. And they said, well, Originally, the profile of the unsub put him in his late 20s. Isn't that a little bit young for a massive stroke? Reed gives us some stroke. Um, <laughs> actually. <laughs> some stroke facts. Crazy, the statistics, you could get a stroke at any time. This, this type of stroke, this type of stroke, this type of stroke, this type of stroke, this type of stroke. And the, basically, the, the, the long and short of this conversation is that it comes back around to where he was like, so probably not a stroke. And Roar's like, so I'm right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i said he was too young <laughs> and then reed I, I, a total non-sequitur reed is like well do you know that stroke victims that play virtual reality games show significant advances in the rec- recovery compared to those who don't okay <laughs> so, look the writer got on wikipedia <laughs> knew they had a certain number of word count and <laughs> You pat it out a little bit at this point, so that's where they went. Yeah. Oh, Reed. <laughs> Hotch is looking through some of their, they're looking at records all this time, and Hotch says, well, now here's somebody in 87. He was 30, single, uh, dishonorably discharged. Morgan says, what was the injury? Hotch says, broken neck, intensive physical therapy for nine years. Uh, what's he been doing since? Oh, never mind. He's moved to the Florida Keys. He's a scuba instructor. He got the right idea. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I, I, I actually like this. Normally I'd say, boy, we're really wasting time with the scene. <laughs> yes. But I at least like the fact that for once it wasn't like I've got a pile of 100 people and I, oh, here, hear about this one. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. At least show, like, they don't always pull the one out of the hat and say, oh, it's the guy. No, no, it's not. It's not. I'm wrong. And it kind of ties into the whole BAU retirement. You know, boy, wouldn't it be nice to retire and go scuba diving in Florida? Because, you know, that's not something any of us will ever do. So I, I did I did at least, I appreciated the effort here, even though, again, this scene could have gone. <laughs> yeah. And hold on to that point about it not being the first. Uh, just yes. pin that for a second. Tim! Uh, <laughs> Ryan is uh, in, in the office and he's looking at all the pictures of the victims and uh, Gideon walks in and, and and asks him if he's taking a break. Ryan says, is there anything worse than cop shop coffee? And Gideon says, day old cop shop donuts. Fair. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, Ryan says at home, he actually has to make the coffee. No bad. It, it's the only way he can enjoy it. And uh, Gideon says, yeah, I've had what you make. <laughs> so <laughs> a little banter going on here. Humanizing him a little bit. He does have a sense of humor. He does, yeah. you know, he's not just this automaton. So yeah, nice, nice that he's really becoming more of a human now that he's around other humans. Gideon says, "You remember the uh, Boise child murder, <laughs> which we heard about earlier?" Ryan is like, "Yeah, how could I forget?" The lead uh, detective. 
I remember when Gideon remembers when he got there that that man was nearly suicidal. And Brian says, yeah, well, he had kids dropping around him like flies. Gideon says, yeah, you told him that feeling guilty when a series of crimes is occurring that you can't stop is a natural response. But the important thing is to remember to not let yourself become another victim. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ryan's like, hey, this is different. And Gideon's like, really? Really? Is it, Ryan? And uh, Ryan says, yes, it is. Because, Jason, I think somewhere in my subconscious, I hoped that writing this book would draw him out, that he missed the attention. And maybe, maybe I wanted to play his game. Gideon says, well, you'd had no idea that he would kill again. Ryan says, no, but he did. And now there's another woman out there in danger. So now we get the kind of now background. It makes sense, of, yeah. Now it makes sense. Look, look, I wrote this book hoping yeah. to draw him out secretly. You know, part of me wanted to draw him out and I got it. And now people are dying and I didn't catch him immediately. And like, oh, crap, I opened the door to this evil again. This, it, this is my fault. So I... That, that's understandable, not not the, oh, I didn't catch him 18 years ago and I'm at fault. It's like, oh, you know, you're, you're not going to catch everybody. So, yeah. you know, that that's unrealistic. But this is like, yeah, I, I basically invited him to come back and kill again. And he did. And that's on me. So I, I get it. Yep. And uh, Gideon is very kind here to me. Uh, he says, look, Max, you know this man better than he knows himself. You always have. Now you've got an advantage. You've got a team of the most incredible agents in the world out here. Plus and out. here you are standing <laughs> alone. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I would have loved if, I would have loved if he said that. Uh, now you're standing here alone, Max. If you let us, we'll help you to find him. Help us help you. Exactly. Now we cut to Hotch and the team discussing the case. L is running down injuries on college campuses. This guy's well-read. He might have been a professor. And Reed is saying, look, there's just too many hospitals, clinics, long-term care facilities. We'll be sifting through these records for weeks. Morgan says, look, there's got to be a way we can narrow down this search. Hotch says, we ruled out a stroke. And uh, half the hospitals say they don't even know when an accident occurred or how the accident occurred, which... The term accident, I guess, sets Reed off. He says accidents. Well, in America, there's someone involved in a car accident once every 10 seconds. Gideon says, yeah, car accidents with injuries are reported to the police. Ryan mentions that they profiled this guy driving a late model American-made sedan. So Morgan says, okay, maybe we get Garcia to check Philly Police Department records for accidents involving American-made sedans and a serious injury. Ryan is like, well, this is a long shot. And Gideon says, it's a shot. We'll start with 1988, see if an accident happened that stopped him in his tracks. And and what's what's great here is that we are beginning to finally figure out exactly what do we do with Garcia? How does Garcia work? <laughs> She's not like going to be this. Merlin. <laughs> we just say, Garcia, find the answer. Ah, well, it is this. It's like, they have they they are beginning to figure out through the past couple episodes exactly what she needs and it's like let's give her parameters she will get parameters once you give her parameters she's very good at then focusing in but she needs parameters so you can't just say every accident since 1988 in Pennsylvania but 
Philadelphia area. Yeah. This type of car, 1988. Okay, I'm narrowing it down. And they're going to figure out the, the Garcia tool. <laughs> exactly. So we cut to uh, Morgan talking to Garcia. They have their usual back and forth flirty uh, <laughs> banter. So he asks for the lists. She's narrowing it down. Almost all of the accidents that they found with injuries were 36 in a 12-month period. Almost all of them were American-made cars. Uh, but only five of them were serious enough to send the drivers to the hospital. Uh, Morgan says, tell me who the other drivers were. Garcia says, okay, one happened on I-95 by the airport. Ambulance picked up the other driver outside of 3245 Anders Street. Ow, broken back. That's not good. Wait. Did you say Anders Street? 3200 block of Anders? Dun, dun, dun. That's where Carla Bromwell lived. And again, yeah, it, yeah, it's the first one she mentions, but she has narrowed it down <laughs> to five. I mean, at that point, let's speed along. Yeah. You know, it's like, it wasn't like, well, there's 36 of them. Let me read them to you. <laughs> and here's five. And let me read four more before. Yeah, you're right. It's, you know, it it's, probably it's works like, better and, and We way. have seen in previous episodes where it's like, okay, I've got three names, blah 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 and blah And, you know, two of them are ridiculously not normal names, and we, we go to blah <laughs> But, you know, the, 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 I, I, it's fine. It, it, it's fine because she, she tells us it's five that she's choosing from. It's not 143. Let's start with this one. That makes it believable. Uh, so Garcia says, well, that particular driver, his name is Walter Kern. He's currently 48 years old. He still resides in the city of brother and sisterly love. <laughs> and uh, if he's 48, that would have put him in his late 20s at the time of the killing, just like Ryan predicted. We cut back to Morgan passing out this report on Walter Kern to the team. He's saying Walter Kern had a military background, four years in the Air Force. Reed says hospital records show that he lost mobility in his right side due to severe nerve uh, damage to his spinal cord. Uh, he never got his strength back. Kern's been a county worker, claims adjuster. And get this, he worked on installing home alarms with one Scott Harbin. Don't! <laughs> he says, yeah, takes one to know one. And uh, they point out all these jobs allowed him access to people's homes Explains why there was no sign of forced entry. He always had a legitimate reason to knock on the door. Women would feel comfortable letting him inside the house. L says he got a degree in criminology from Villanova in 1988. I wonder if he murdered anyone on campus. Gideon says that ex explains his knowledge of law enforcement. Either that or he just watched a lot of television, but you know. <laughs> yes. Hotch says, this looks like our guy. Uh, uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> Hotch, anybody got a current address? Ryan says, 557 White Street, Southeast Philadelphia. I got you, you son of a bitch. We got him. Let's go bring him in. He's the happiest guy in the world. Da, 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 da. <laughs> we then cut to Walter Kern's house. The SWAT team is surrounding the place, and Gideon and Ryan are on the porch ringing the bell. We see a shot from an inside point of view of someone going to answer the door. Uh, the doorbell rings, and in a classic film school bit of misdirection. Oh, it's the Silence of the Lambs, Edit. It's the Silence of the yes. Lambs, Edit. It's another house. <laughs> it's the wrong house. 
Also, Dead Again. Have you ever seen Dead Again with Kenneth Branagh? Uh, that's with the scissors, right? Yeah. Yes. And Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. They have a, a moment like that. Uh, I, 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 I love that technique, really. But it, it, uh, it's good. It, it, it gets overused a lot, but uh, you yeah. Know, Every once in a while, it's it, it's good. You know, the doorbell rings, it opens up, and uh, it's not Gideon outside. Oh no, it's Walter Kern, our bald guy, our bald guy with glasses, Walter Kern. Yes, and it's the blonde lady Sylvia, and she's saying, "Hey, Walter, come on in." We do more of that black and white flash cutting, sinister music. Uh, and as Walter is closing the door behind him, he has a evil look on his face yes. as he pant- looks outside. We have a break. And when we get back from the break, we see at Kern's house, his wife basically is answering the door to Gideon and Ryan. She lets them in. And then we cut back to the Sylvia's house and things have escalated. Because at this point, Kern is holding a gun to her, leading her to her bedroom, and she's crying, asking, what What are you going to do? Why are you doing this? Why? Uh, he gives her some cuffs, some of those flex cuffs. She says, put on the cuffs, do it. And she, I guess, is taking a little too long. So he's like, now! And smacks her yeah, across he, the head. <laughs> we, we, we know this. He's a bad guy. This yeah. is not going to get uh, results <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she falls to the bed. We cut back to Gideon and Ryan with uh, Walter's wife. And she's saying, uh, oh, he's at the Pinewood Community Center working with the Boy Scouts. He volunteers as one of the leaders. My perfect husband isn't here right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Ryan is asking if it would be okay for them to search the house. Uh, She's like, what for? And he says, well, we've been called to investigate the murders of several women here in Philadelphia. Oh, that's why we need to talk to him. And she's like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. I'm going to have to ask you to leave uh, right now. Ryan says, can we ask you just answer just one question for us? Does your husband have an area here in the house that you're never supposed to go into, a place that you're not supposed to see? Uh, She thinks about it and says, Walter has a dark room. (laughs) Gideon says, if he knew you were in there, would he become so angry at that you fear that maybe he would hurt you. You can tell this is true, but she's kind of still trying to to make everything square. I in her mean, head. he wouldn't really hurt uh, me. We'd get across and angry, I'm sure. But he wouldn't really hurt me. Would, oh, I, you're right. <laughs> he just doesn't want me to ruin his pictures. Yes. Yes, total, unfortunately, it's total battered wife syndrome. Uh, It doesn't even have to be physical. It's just clearly there's a lot of mental abuse going on in this relationship. And Ryan asks her if her husband suffered through depression. She says, yeah, after his car accident. He says, and did he suddenly snap out of it for no apparent reason? She's like, what does all this mean? They ask her if they could show show them the room. We cut to SWAT breaking the lock on a cellar door. They go in and clear it out and make sure everything's okay. Ryan and Gideon go in to investigate. They find that he's got all those articles uh, that was written about him. He's got Ryan's book, to which Ryan is like, damn it, I signed it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's good. Uh, Reed Reed says, Hotch was correct about the photography. 
uh, his cellars where, where he develops all of his photographs. They find a, a book and Reed is like, what is that, a scrapbook? Gideon says, look, there's a chapter on every woman he killed. The entries are detailed enough to let him relive all of his kills. Uh, he has candid photographs of the victims at the park, at the grocery store, driver's license, etc. And there's unfinished chapters in the back of the book. But those chapters, the photographs are at least 20 years old, you know, based on the hairstyles and the clothing. Clothing. We see several cuts all of a sudden of all of the cross uh find a word puzzles and Reed is clearly going over them all in his head. And the last words highlighted in a search puzzle we see are unfinished business. Title, 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 title. Yes. I'm so happy on our latest run. It's been a few now that we have at least had the title either seen or mentioned. And uh, it is both here because Reed says, his recent themes of communication have been about old friends, unfinished business, unfinished business. <laughs> His uh, car accident was at, in the Fairmont district of Philadelphia. That's exactly where Carla Bromwell lived. They figure, oh, he was on his way to kill her when he had his accident. So it's not about finding a new type of victim. It's about his specific target. Ryan says, because he was such a perfectionist and is a, is a perfectionist, he had to finish what he started all those years ago. Gideon says, these aren't new victims, Max. They were already targeted right from day one. Who's in the last chapter? We see our pictures of our blonde lady, Sylvia Gooden. And then we cut back to her sitting on her bed, blood on the side of her head from where he struck her. And she's saying, what's wrong with you, Walter? I've known you and Anne for years. You're good people. To which Walter just says, lie down on your back. And if you speak again, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, if you speak again. Uh, he's going to kill you. <laughs> I know he's saying that, but he's going to kill I him. mean, yeah. his plans, yeah. <laughs> we cut to outside and see Morgan and the SWAT team arriving outside. We hear Gideon saying, we believe Walter Kern is in Sylvia Gooden's home now. Hotch confirmed that he left the community center hours ago. Kern's car, we found it parked down the next block. Ryan says, I want Kern alive. Uh, the SWAT guys is ready to go on their word. Gideon says, good, let's move out. I'll call you when we've secured Ern to L. And she's like, yeah. Inside the house, Kern is straddling over Sylvia Gooden. Uh, and grabbing a plastic bag, conveniently sized for a head. <laughs> well, he's a planner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I guess he didn't just go down to the kitchen. Yeah, he brought with. Found a little tiny sandwich bag. No. Uh, <laughs> she's, Sylvia's like, please don't. Kern is, I need to do this. I can't stop it. It'll be over soon. We see SWAT prying open the door with a crowbar, which has denied Morgan the opportunity to kick it in. And they're very quiet about it, too. <laughs> they, I don't understand really why they have to be quiet about it. They know because the thing is, they know he's a strangler. So it's not like he's going to like all of a sudden like knife her or something like you know, or shoot her. Like, yeah. they don't need to be quiet about it. <laughs> Bash that door down and run in yeah. there. At this point, Kern is starting to put the bag over Sylvia's head. She starts screaming. They hear her, so they rush upstairs. They kick open the door. Got him. Don't move. Don't move. Don't move. Man, Gideon is just screaming like a crazy person. Don't move. 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 Don't
And at least, AJ, at least I felt good here because at least Morgan got to basically kind of tackle. It wasn't a real tackle, but he basically got to bring Kern down to the ground. Yeah, but I, I, it was actually, it was it was satisfying. You know, we get to finish the Morgan story <laughs> for the episode of getting to tackle somebody. Uh, he grabs him. And I just think it's hilarious that he's just like, um, little help. Can I get some cuffs? Little help. Little help. And he's just waiting for the cuff. Can I get some cuffs? <laughs> Yes. Meanwhile, yeah, because uh, Ryan and Morgan are are basically consoling Sylvia Gooden, Gideon does hand the cuffs to Ryan and says, hey, why don't you do this? I'll take care of her. Also, I thought it was hilarious that uh, Kern was like, ow, watch my arm. Like, like he expected them to be a little polite in their capture. Dudes, I was I was in an accident. <laughs> don't you know about the accident? <laughs> Yeah, and so Gideon is consoling Sylvia. Ryan heads over and stares at Kern. And here's where we get the flashbacks where we see that, yes, Kern was at the book signing. Kern was standing outside. at So, yes, the, the parts that you checked earlier to confirm that he actually was there, he was there. Yeah. So we did get that moment in case people like me who don't want to rewind I just want to believe. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I appreciate that they put it there, and then, uh, but I just because they put it there doesn't mean that if you went back, it was actually this, yes. you know. So I, I did want to just double check and say they, they weren't like lying to yeah. us. Like, no, he actually was there. Yes. They, so they've captured him, and Kern is saying to uh, Ryan, "I, I know you've enjoyed this ride as much as I have." Ryan says, "I'm enjoying this part of it." <laughs> Kern says we're inseparable you and me and Ryan says let's just test that theory out get him out of here so it was a nice little moment for Ryan I thought triumph yeah and we cut to the jet flying home oh thank goodness we're gonna fly home we're not they're not gonna take the trains yes. <laughs> we're not gonna drive we flew there let's fly yes. back <laughs> and we get our in show quote and uh in a nice moment i guess to build help with the character building our voiceover this time is not from gideon it is from l actually yeah i think also because i mean i think they're figuring out that whoever says the quote will probably be featured in the final scene after the quote right so here's the quote abraham lincoln once said in the end it's not the years in your life that count it's the life in your years. Very nice. I doubt that's Abraham Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like that quote, famous quote from Abraham Lincoln that you see in the internet memes. Never trust anything you read on the internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, probably not Abraham Lincoln. Or if, it, or if he did say it, he probably wasn't the first to say it. But it's a nice sentence. Yeah. And and I mean, if it's really not Abraham Lincoln, I'm glad that it was L. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. I mean, I didn't check it or anything. Yeah. And so Ryan is sort of talking on the plane to a group of them. He's sort of holding court. And he's like, did uh, Jason ever tell you about the time he found a director's itinerary in a bomber's car? And so they're like, no, wait, we got to hear this story. Uh, so he says, let me fill you in. We had this bomber case. It was one of Jason's first. So we had him go over and search the bomber's car except for him and the guys had planted a piece of paper in there that had all these times and locations of where the FBI director was going to be over the next 48 hours. Jason takes one look at this piece of paper before they could stop him. He takes up off 
runs up 25 flights of stairs to the director's office, barges in, interrupting a meeting with the attorney general. They all start laughing at this story. It's hilarious. <laughs> and Gideon is like, the director didn't find it very funny. And then we pan actually to a little separate section of the jet where apparently you can't hear anything going on on the other side <laughs> of the jet. And uh, Elle is sitting off in a separate section with Hotch, who, and Hotch is going through paperwork. And Elle says, you know, he has no one, no family. Who's that? It's Ryan. I mean, technically he's retired, but he hasn't seen his kids in years. Hotch says, yeah, divorce is not uncommon, uncommon in BAU. And she says, you know, the other night when you called, Saturday night, don't you think it was weird that we were just all able to drop everything and go to the office that were available at, at your beck and call anytime, day or night. Hot says, no, that's not really weird. Elle wonders, how did you, how do you do it? How do you do this job and yet still have time for a wife and a baby? And baby who doesn't have a name yet, as far as we know. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. I was hoping for now that you have your wife and Richard. Uh, but Hotch says, when I'm with them, I try to focus 100% of my attention there. And when I'm with you guys, I try to do the same thing. It's all about priorities, L. It's all about setting them and keeping them. And L finally crystallizes what's been going on, I guess, with her the whole episode. I'm just so scared that I'm going to turn into that guy over there. Look up and see that my life has passed me by while I was chasing monsters. Hot says, it's hard. The job will eat you up if you let it. She says, well, what do I do? And he says, find a way to not let it. And then uh, we hear the soothing tones of Sheryl Crow turn up on the soundtrack. And then we fade out. Episode over. Yay, episode over. Nice little episode. I think a nice little character uh, growth from Gideon. Uh, becoming more of a team player by seeing how not a team player Ryan was. Uh, I think that's really nice. Uh, what do you think? Uh, not, this is not a prediction prediction. Just, just curious. What? How do you think L is going to uh, take what happened in this episode in future episodes? I know there's some cast turnover in this show. I don't know exactly who all the people are yet that are going to be coming and going, but it does seem like this is a way to start maybe giving her uh, the thought in her head that she doesn't she doesn't want this life where she's going to be like like uh, Max was here, that she wants something more out of it. Maybe she'll start to consider different paths and maybe she'll actually sort of calm down a little bit on the cases that she is working uh, in, in the yeah. present time. That would we be shall my, see. That would be my thought. We shall see. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice that they're they're finally providing us amidst all the uh, crime stuff, the character stuff that I think the show's realizing that when we focus a little bit more on the characters, we care a little bit more about the show. So, yes. And uh, I mean, not the best world in the uh, episode in the world, but not not bad. And not bad. Uh, I, I felt like it redeemed our writers from Natural Born Killer because that was a steaming. Uh, anyway, <laughs> good job. I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, I agree. So let's crack out our barometer and ask ourselves the question we ask every week. AJ, do you feel like they won this week? Uh, well, we headed into this episode with a record of nine, two, and three. 
And I would say that quite easily, this is a win. We're back on winning ways for the team. I mean, not only did they catch a killer after an 18-year hiatus, um, but they actually also saved a victim they didn't even know was out there <laughs> by looking at the victims, uh, by looking at, at the, the clues left by our unsub. And so maybe the unsub tipped the scales a little bit, but still, Reed figured it all out. And so... It's almost like a double win. I'm not giving a doubleheader win here, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely a W for the team here in Philadelphia. Absolutely. Excellent. I agree. So uh, they're doing great. AJ, it's now time for what we like to do every week. You give me a little quiz, a few questions on the show, based on the show. Yeah, spun off from uh, our episode, some trivia questions. As you know, I also have a trivia podcast called Beat My Guest, and I I like to do trivia, so why not combine that interest with our felonious punditry that we do here? Uh, question one for you, sir. In 1968, a man by the name of Norman E. Gibbet from Oklahoma invented something. What? 1978? 1968. Oh, 68. Okay. That makes things... So much easier. <laughs> still, still, yeah. Still... Uh, Norman E. Gibbet invented something loosely based, inspired from this week's episode. These questions tend to be Norman E. Gibbet. I'm trying to think of any kind of Gibbet named inventions, <laughs> and I cannot think of any. Neg. He invented the neg. The pile <laughs> of. No. Come on, Katad, it's sitting right in front of my face. I know AJ's little tricks, but I don't. Uh, I don't know. I give up. I pass. Well, in, in, in an interesting turn of event, Norman E. Gibbet was actually from the town of Norman, Oklahoma, which I found very amusing, but that's, that, that's irrelevant. Uh, Norman E. Gibbet worked in the newspaper industry, and he is the first ever creator slash publisher of a word search puzzle. Of course. I should have... <laughs> Uh, it was sitting right in it front wasn't of me. right I there. I thought the nineteen sixty eight actually made it a little more tricky because you would think these had yeah. existed a lot longer, I but thought, no. I yeah. I would have thought they had been around for much longer. He is generally considered to be the first person to publish one. So go figure. Uh, all right, let's move on to question two. Uh, in this episode we had an adventure where we tried to catch the Keystone Killer. But what baseball player? is the career leader in home runs by a player who played the Keystone. I will give you choices for this one. Which of these players is the career leader in Major League Baseball for home runs by a player who played the Keystone? Is it Albert Pujols, Jeff Kent, Mike Piazza, or Mike Schmidt? I mean, Mike Schmidt is well known for the Phillies, a player for the Phillies. I'm not quite sure what played for. The, I'll admit my my ignorance here. I'm not sure what you mean by played for the Keystone. Well, that would be the, the the big question I'm asking, isn't it? So I think Schmidt is a trap. I don't think it's Schmidt, even though he played for the Phillies. Pujols, Kent, Piazza, or Schmidt. I. Ugh. 
I have no clue because I don't know what the keystone is, which I am sure you will inform me once I give you the wrong answer. And I'm going to give you, I know of your history with Met, the Mets, but I think that may be a trap as well. So I'm not going to walk down that road. I don't think it's Albert Pujols. I'm going to go with Jeff Kent. You know, Jeff Kent, you know Jeff Kent played for the Mets, right? Yeah, but... I don't think of because I, I sort of follow the Giants. I was really only thinking okay. of him. Okay, because Michael played for the Dodgers too. You know, so he wasn't just with the Mets either. Yeah, I'm just saying. But I think of him as I know. Okay. I, I got you. I, I just I associate people with one main team, Fair. despite the fact that many people play for many Absolutely. teams. Absolutely. Well, uh, <laughs> I suppose this question would be a lot easier if you knew that Keystone is what we call the second baseman. Ah. <laughs> and only one of these players played second base, and that would be Jeff Kent. So you have backed your way into the correct answer. Well done. 377 home runs as a second baseman. That is the record. All of these players led their position uh, in home runs. Mike Piazza's catcher, Mike Schmidt third base, Albert Fujo's first base. Jeff Kent, Keystone, second base. No, through no real logic at all, I somehow backed my way in. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said that. Anyway, (laughs) and now my favorite question each week, question three. What is the plot of next week's episode? Criminal Minds Season 1, Episode 16, entitled The Tribe. Multiple choice. Is the tribe about A... A cult leader forces his followers to commit mass suicide, but instead goes on the run himself rather than join them in the effort. Is it B, a massacre of students using Native American rituals confounds the BAU? Is it C, an online community has a murderer in it, killing off the members one by one? Or is it D, Hallucinations from a men's group that likes to dabble in ayahuasca turns deadly. Uh, AJ, mm. we're running a little long this week, so I'm going to just cut to the chase because I have no real logic behind whatever my guess is going to be here. I am going to say that this is option B, choice B. The Massacre of Students. Using yes. Native American rituals, confounding the BAU. Yes. It's a little on the nose, don't you think? Yeah, but I don't have, I don't know. I don't have any. Well, sometimes on the nose is right. You are on the nose. Correct. That is exactly what it's about. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. 15 out of 45. That's 333. I like it. I'm on base three, three times out of every ten. Very good, very good. <laughs> but I am not touching the keystone, <laughs> unfortunately. All right, okay. Thank you, folks. Another week, another great show. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If so, uh, go ahead and uh, please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. Please, on your favorite podcast platform, uh, spread the word. Let your friends know about us. If you want to yell at us or write to us, you know, don't yell at us, but you could write to us. Please do so at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. 
Uh, we also have a Twitter uh, at pod, uh, pundits underscore podcast. So uh, for AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. If you must begin, then go all the way. Because if you begin and quit, the unfinished business you have left behind begins to haunt you. Chogyam Trungpa.